The title of my message this morning is Forgiven. Father, we love you so very much and thank you and honored by your presence in this place as we have felt it, Lord God. Many watching us, Lord God, online, and we're grateful for that. Many in this room this morning, Lord God, hungry, Lord God. We're so hungry for more of you, Lord God. I believe this is the beginning step, Lord God, into a move of your spirit, and I give you praise and glory. Now let your spirit flow in this house, I pray, until it's evident, Lord God, that change happens. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. And amen, amen. What does it mean to be forgiven? What would life be like if you could not be forgiven? If it was impossible, you just had to hold the guilt and the shame. How do we get forgiveness? And forgiven from what? What do we, be, what do we want to be forgiven from? I'm going to try to answer those questions this morning as we look into the Word of God. Acts chapter 2 verse 19 says this, and I love the beginning of this. It says, repent. Now the first thing you hear when you, when you see repent is you hear God's judgment coming, right? You better repent. God's going to get you. God's going to slap you. God's going to knock you down. God's going to beat you into submission. God's going to send you to a burning hell. I mean, all of us have these images of this, uh, this, this bloodthirsty God that wants to take us out. But really, when we see repent, we should see a gift that God gives to mankind. It's not God that takes us out. It's our sin that we commit that takes us out. I'll, I'll bear that out in just a moment. But repentance is a free gift from God that you can't earn, that you receive by faith, knowing his goodness, his mercy, and his love. It is not God's anger that moves men to repentance, but it's the goodness of God. And God is absolutely good in everything that he does. Even when it looks bad, I promise you, he's trying to turn things around for your good. Somebody say amen to that. So when I read repent, I don't see somebody in New York or downtown Milwaukee with a sign going repent or the guy who drives that car around. I like the guy. You know, he's probably a nice guy. He's doing what he feels right. I don't see that drawing many people to Jesus, though, because it's not telling somebody what they're doing wrong. It's saying what the truth is, of course, but always tempered in love. Because people will not listen to the message you have to say unless they know that you care about them and you love them. Amen. Repent. Everybody say repent. That means return to the top. The pent is what? The penthouse at the very top of the building, right? The apartment building is the penthouse. Re means to return. So it means to go back to your original condition, back to the Garden of Eden before sin ever came into the picture. Your oneness with God, the healing of your soul. You know that you walk with God and you have free uh, communication with him on a daily basis. Repent, therefore, and be converted. So this is so powerful because conversion cannot happen without first there being an act on our part called repentance. That your sins may be blotted out, which simply means to be forgiven. Everybody say forgiven. So the times are refreshing. God said, I want to bring you something. That the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. God wants to bring a time of refreshing to us. And he wants to bring his presence to us. It comes by, it comes by way of what? Conversion. Conversion comes by way of what? Comes by way of repentance. You receive forgiveness of all your sin, all your, uh, your wrongdoing, all the evil, all the darkness. You receive forgiveness as a result of of your repentance. The prodigal son, I know my father will love me. I know my father will give me grace and he'll give me mercy. He could judge me. He has that power to make me just a servant or just to cast me away from the family. But I know his heart. I know that he is ultimately good. And if I will return to him, if I repent, go back to my original condition and ask him to forgive me, he will grant me the mercy that I need. Because the Bible says if we sin, he's faithful. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a beautiful thing. But if we are not exercising the gift of repentance in our life, we cannot be forgiven. I am not trying to bring paranoia to people, say, every day of your life, you know, you just got to get on your face for God and just cry out and scream out for repentance. That's, I'm talking about living a repentant lifestyle. That the moment I sin, I know I sin. I don't wait till tomorrow for prayer time. Right then, Father, forgive me. I know better than that. That's not who I am. Granted, son. 
Granted, daughter, you're working it out. You're trying your best. I am, Lord. I really am. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And by the way, I'll find, let me just say something. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Now I'm preaching. Now it's getting prophetic. What I'm trying to tell you is that if you will sow mercy in someone else's life, if you'll sow some grace in someone else's life, be, be gracious, in other words. If they did you wrong, but you still show graciousness and a little bit of mercy toward them. The Bible says whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And the more that you find yourself showing grace and mercy to somebody else, the more it's so easy for you to walk in a revelation that God has given you grace and mercy. He loves me. If I can forgive them, I know the God of heaven who's never done wrong can forgive me. It's in his very nature to forgive us. I used to say it this way years ago when the church was first started. Back when we were way in that, you saw the picture of the, we called the upper room in, in the Deer Creek Elementary School and that little bitty, that little bitty theater. And I would preach it to them then. i say, you know, God, he's, he, there's a kryptonite with God. And God's kryptonite, you know, you know, the kryptonite was what you put around uh, uh, Superman. And he'd lose all his power. He just, he just was just full, right? There's a kryptonite with God that when we ask him to forgive us, God can do anything he wants. But the moment we ask him to forgive us, he indulges our requests. He can't help himself. He just goes, I know I'm judge. I know I'm jury. And sometimes they call me hang him high, Jehovah, you know, because I have to bring judgment on certain things. But I love you so much. And because you have come to me and, and humbled yourself, I will give grace to you. I'll resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. It's my kryptonite. I, I should have judged you, but now I'm going to set you free. I love you, son. I love you, daughter. This is what God is. This, he is good. He is ultimately love. God is love. You have to have a revelation of that. So I know we live in a modern society, and I'm finding that out more and more and more. Call it modern society. Actually, it's a godless society, but let's go on. Where, where we blame everyone else for our actions. Now, I could preach that 15 years ago. People say amen. But have we not seen this overtly over and over in our lives? Just outwardly, people just, just they just, well, I'm this way because of them. My parents, my grandparents, society, government, color of my skin, my economic situation, them Christians over there, that church, that pastor over there, my loved ones, my siblings. Blame everybody else for their actions. But I want to say this this morning, that we don't have a circumstantial problem. We have a sin problem that needs to be dealt with in America and around the world. Somebody say amen. And the sin problem can't be dealt with until there's an acknowledgement that you are the one that sinned. That prodigal son said, I have sinned. It was a revelation. I can't blame nobody but my own doggone self. I can't blame them friends. They used to give me a couch to sleep on. Now they won't even give me. I pay for everything. All their bills. I paid their rent one time. And now I can't find a friend to save my life. I can't even blame them. I can only blame myself for the position that I'm in right now. And the moment you do that, there's a humbleness that comes upon you. And there's a seeking of, okay, then what is the answer? My answer is found in God. I will go to him, and he will right my wrongs. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is, the wages of sin is what? He's warning us. The scripture tells us that if we continue to sin, I got a different translation. And by the way, I don't know, son, if you ever get the message translation. Up there, we able to get the message translation? Okay, this is going to be good. But let me finish it in the New King James. And by the way, those who want to know what translation I use, I use the New King James for almost everything. I love the King James. I started with the King James Bible preaching years and years ago. But all them these, thou's, thithersoever's, uh, uh, I couldn't do it anymore, you know. I, I, so I just, I got the King James, and that cuts out the thithers stuff, and, and now it just speaks the plain language, but very close to the text. And I use it that way because the text being so close to the other books that I study, which are the Strong's Concordance, uh, Vine's Dictionary, uh, the Lexicons, they're very close to the King James Version of the Bible. Well, the New King James stays pretty close to that as well, just so that you're aware of that. But there are other translations that are incredibly good that a lot of you use, and I like them too, because it says it in a modern-day vernacular that we can understand and maybe it doesn't break the words down in Hebrew, but the meaning or the thrust 
of what the Bible's saying we can get. But the wage of sin, the Bible says, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a gift in place of death. Now, we know that to be now repentance, right? But he says, but watch this in the message translation. This is the message. Work hard for sin your whole life. Honey, do you have to have, to have the passion by chance translation? I'm just curious. Can somebody pull up the passion? I'm just curious to see what that says. Work, work hard for sin your whole life. So it's saying, it's, it's treating sin in our lives as if um, you're working a job, okay? Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension will be death. Think about it. You work hard your whole life and at the end, what you're promised is nothing but death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life delivered by Jesus our master. Powerful truth. The passion, somebody have that real quick? Got it? Just curious. I may not say it much different, but I like the passion too. Uh, what was it? 22 and 23? Welcome to uh, Faith Builds Bible Study this morning. 23, you said? For sin's meager wages is death. Oh, good, that's good. But God's lavish gift is life eternal found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. He had it up there. So the truth of the matter is, is God is actually showing you so how far the difference is. You go the way of God, he lavishes you. You go the way of sin, it brings nothing but death in your life. Amen, somebody. Sin is serious business. It's something I don't, I'm not going to get down on other preachers, but it's something you don't hear preached much in pulpits today, especially American pulpits, because we want self-help. We want the pastor to get up there and give us a bunch of self-help tricks to get us out of some of our depression or discouragement or make us financial uh, money or whatever. Uh, but we don't talk about the crux of why we're actually here. We're trying to live straight. The Bible says broad is the way. Come on, that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to life. I'm trying to keep this church on that narrow way. We're not perfect. You, you may not be perfect. But it, it, we have to be reminded that sin is serious. And you can't be passive about it. You can't just look the other way. Just because there was no lightning bolt that came out of heaven yesterday to take you out because of your sin doesn't mean you're not going to earn death. It happens. That's what the, the Bible says that we have to believe that. There's a story uh, that, uh, how many's ever heard of Jesse Duplantis? Y'all like Jesse? How many's never heard, let me see, never heard of Jesse Duplantis? Oh, well, look him up, Google him today, and uh, you can like his stuff on, on YouTube and then get all the videos. First of all, he's hilarious. If you want to feel good, Listen to Jesse. Jesse will make you feel good. And now him and Kathy do something online together as well. It's called the Boardroom Chats, I believe. And they're, they're just, they're, they're dynamic together. And just very, they're phenomenal. It'll lift you up. And he's a great man of God, been around forever. But I, he, he tells a story, and I love it so much. He said, um, you've got to embarrass sin before sin embarrasses you. I thought, that is so profound. You've got to embarrass sin. Before sin embarrasses you. And he tells this story. He said, ladies and gentlemen, you not believe, may not believe this or not. I may look like an old man, but I still get hit on. Everyone's laughing, just like you are. And he said, he said, why are you laughing? He said, it happens, it happens. And he says, uh, and I travel a lot. He says, and um, before, he said, before I got my, my, my aircraft, to, I, he flies now, he has his own aircraft. He said, I would fly, of course, the regular um, airlines. And he said, and so he said, you don't, you can't pick the person that sits next to you. And I typically would travel alone. He said, so I go on, he said, and uh, I sit down and this woman, uh, she says, well, hi there. She goes, uh, I'm supposed to be seated right next to you. He goes, oh, great. I'll get out of the way. And so he does. And she sits down and instantly she strikes up a conversation. She, and her, her, her beginning point was, I like your hair. He's got, he's got white hair. Like he calls it the eagle's wings. You know, it's like white, white hair. And I like your hair. And she starts talking to him. And next thing you know, she starts coming on to him. Well, where are you heading? Well, maybe we can get a drink together when, we, when you get there. And, of course, he's like, oh, my God, what in the world? And then she puts his hand, her hand on his knee. And when, he touched, when she touched his knee, he stood up and said, Hora Babylon, Hora Babylon, in the plane. And everybody's like, ah. <laughs> he tells the story so good. He said, everybody's freaking out. 
She freaks out. He said, coffee and drinks are going everywhere. And he, and she, and he goes, I would like another seat. And he finds it, he gets another seat. He said, I've learned. If you don't learn, no, I don't suggest you start calling people whores. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. But his point was, I've got to embarrass sin before it embarrasses me. Because if I don't, maybe my flesh might like this attention. And who knows what could happen as a result. I'm going to get on this thing right away. Don't wait, y'all, until it gets a hold of you. Deal with it immediately. Someone say amen. Whore of Babylon! I can see you at work today. Whore of Babylon! <laughs> because we cannot be passive when it comes to sin. If we see a child running out here on Leighton Avenue, and, and one of our kids maybe, but you don't really know them, and they're running out. Are you going to think, and we see the trucks coming. We see the bus coming. We see the cars coming, three lanes across. We, we know there's danger, but we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to offend the child. We don't want the child to get scared. We don't want to offend the parents because after all, the parents may not like us yelling at their kids. Do we think that way? Do we really process it like that? But when we see danger, what do we do? We scream from the top of our lungs, Stop! Or we say something to get that child's attention, to turn that child. Why? Because we know if we don't do something soon, quick, immediately, if we're not aggressive, that child's going to get hit. If we're passive, that child could die. And I believe it's the same way. Not that we get in any other, anybody else's business, but when it's confronted, when we're confronted with it, or when we're confronted with our own sin, we scream at ourselves saying, no, you will not. You take that attitude away. You get that, that the behavior away. You get that temptation away from me in the name of Jesus. Sin is a killer. Sin is a destroyer. Sin leads to everlasting eternal death, the Bible says, which the Bible describes as hell. We don't hear that preached too much in modern churches in America anymore, but there's a place that Jesus talked about more than he talked about heaven. It's a place called hell where there's gnashing of teeth and outer darkness and a flame that cannot be ever quenched and a worm that never dies. This is something that's real. I think that, that, that if sin is what causes that pressure or causes that leading for us to go to, then we're going to have to pay attention to it. Augustine said this, sin is believing the lie that you are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. When you get into that mode, you'll find out it will lead to destruction, which when it's not dealt with, not repented of, it'll make you self-righteous, self-indulgent, self-serving, and self-preserving. You get in a place of self-preservation, which means you're only thinking about you, yourself. You know, one of the things about COVID that we've learned real quick I think there's a lot of you probably have changed it. When fear hits, what's the first thing you do? You start thinking of self-preservation. When fear hits, you're going, oh, my God, i got to get out there. And for whatever reason, America was scared to death of losing toilet paper. Too soon? Do you all remember that? Scared to death. We were scared to death. Something happened. Fear hit this nation of, oh, my God, what am I going to do? When I'm in the bathroom and I have no toilet paper. Probably what they did for thousands of years before we ever had something called toilet paper. Somebody say amen. And I don't even want to think about it, but I'm telling you, that's how you deal with it. Hallelujah. But it was fear. And then we went and we saw empty shelves. Remember? Empty shelves. And it wasn't that we didn't have enough food. It was that people became hoarders because they became self-reliant self-preserving, um, uh, thinking of one, and they didn't think about their neighbor. They didn't think about the guy or the older woman that couldn't get to the store in time, grocery store in time, and now uh, she, has, she can't get the food that she's looking for. So it's a real problem. It wasn't that we didn't have enough. It was that fear, self, that self-serving, self-indulgent spirit, which is pride, which, by the way, if you, I don't know if you watched last, the last... Um, uh, word podcast. We talked a little bit about that and how we can deal with pride. But by the way, what letter is in the middle of the word sin? I. Isn't that interesting? I think this. I think that. I believe this. I believe that. I just feel I, um, um, 
I know I'm right and I know they're wrong. You start moving in that place, you're going to start moving in a place of self-righteousness, which you're going to think you're doing pretty good. Let me just tell you something. Just because your works are righteous doesn't make you right. I've met people, man, they're better Christians than I. As far as on paper, they're a better Christian than me. I mean, they're, they study the word of God more. They, 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 um, they're, they're kind to, uh, to their, their husband or wife. They, they, um, they uh, I don't know, just a myriad of different things that they're doing, which on paper looks really good. But their hearts, they don't really serve God. They're not really love, they don't really love the Lord. It's all a bunch of works, 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 so that I can gain my way into heaven or gain my way out of hell, prevent it from happening in my life. That's not God's best. God always wants the heart, and the heart should always be about well, how I can be a blessing to somebody else. How can I help them? Instead of me judging them for what they're wrong they're doing, what part can I play to help them get out of that place? Now, that is not easy to do for anybody in this room. That's a, it's a selfless act, right? But it's the one that will keep us from sin. It's the modern American religion, as I, as I like to call it. Whatever I believe is the truth. Oh my God. Is that not happening in the world today as well? Whatever I believe is the truth. Have you heard this day before? Have you heard this before, guys? Well, that's just my truth. As opposed to my truth and his truth and your, their truth. No, no, no. There's only truth. I'm preaching better than y'all want to shout. Are you catching me? Probably because you used it, but you used it innocently when you said my truth. And I, and I get what you're saying. What you're saying, you're saying my understanding. Then say that. But, but it's not your truth. There's only truth. And then there's lie. There's only right. And then there's wrong. There's only absolute. No, no, no. There's, 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 there's absolutes in this life. They'll teach you in college or even now in high school and even now in elementary. There are no absolutes in life. One kid stood up and said, teach, can I ask a question? Sure. Are you absolutely sure about that? Right? Of course there's absolutes in life. Absolute. And God set them forth in his word, a standard by which we are to live by. Somebody say amen to that. So now the American religion is whatever I believe is the truth with no solid basis for their belief system uh, except emotion and personal experience, which can be deceptive. Personal, decept personal experience can be good, but it can also be deceptive because what you went through may not have been the way God wanted you to go through it or you should have went through it. For instance, I, I, if I was robbed by a bunch of um, uh, middle-aged soccer moms, amen, they just beat me up and robbed me, then I might draw the conclusion that all middle-aged soccer moms are thieves to be stayed away from. Now, I said that little tongue-in-cheek because it's kind of funny, but we do that with races all the time. Oh, y'all don't want to talk about that neither today. I can see this as a subdued crowd. Am I telling the truth or what? So we see enough race on the news on this color and that color, and, and all of a sudden we start, we start building up an idea uh, about that particular group of people rather than know it was that person that did that, not those people that did that. And the, the news media is happy to oblige and let you think that way because it builds ratings. Because the more we hate each other, the more we want to tune in and find, oh, look, at there we go again. Isn't that something? It's always there. The devil's always trying to split and divide us. Amen. When if you cut us all, we all bleed red. And if I had trouble and I need a blood transfusion, I'm not asking uh, what color are you putting in me. How many, how, how many remember, this might be too early for some, uh, how many remember um, uh, All in the Family with Archie Bunker? You remember that? And he had to go get a blood transfusion and found out that his neighbor, George Jefferson, remember before the spinoff, had to give it blood and he gave blood and he woke up, found out that George, George Jefferson is a black man. His blood was in him. His eyes went. 
because he was a racist, but he had a good heart. You know, he was trying, he was working things out. It's how we learn. And so, and so I think that's true with a lot of people. They're like, oh my God. But when you're in trouble, you don't care about that. Matter of fact, if I need a liver, it could come from a Chinese man. It could come from a Mexican. Come on, somebody. It could come from anybody that is, is only one race, the human race. Somebody say amen. The devil splits and divides us. That's what he does. Amen. And soccer moms. There's a human race. And then there's the soccer moms. You got to be careful with the soccer moms. Amen. <laughs> we must base our belief system purely on the word of God, not my experiences because they could have been deceptive. They could have lied to me, made me feel a certain kind of way that was never God's intention at all. All right, I want to make this statement. I wrote this out. It's kind of long, but I love it. The word of God is the moral compass to the world, especially the church. It is a guide of absolutes. It is the truth about life. It is the answers to all of the world's questions and their greatest questions. It is the revelation of who God is and of his son, Jesus. It is the return policy of mankind back to the Father God and his mercy to a fallen, rebellious race. It is the rules of engagement of life itself. It is truth. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is unshakable, unbreakable, indestructible, unmovable. You can't get rid of it and you can't change it. It is the holy script of God. He is the playwright. Jesus is the star of the show and we are the supporting actors. It gives you your direction, your motivation, and your purpose and without it, there would be nothing but complete and total confusion and lawlessness in this life. Everybody say, the word of God is my highest authority. It's higher than your mama. You don't have to say that, but I'm going to let me preach this. It's higher than your daddy. It's higher than your professor. It's higher than your pastor. It's higher than the prophet, and it's higher than any prophetic word. God's word is final authority. And church, God doesn't use the devil to teach you anything. The devil is not out here becoming your professor. And God's using the devil to wreak havoc in your life so that whatever you go through, because the devil puts sickness, sin, uh, temptation on you, disease on you, whatever, well, that's just God's way of trying to teach you. No, 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 that's the devil's kingdom, that's darkness. God don't send that kind of junk to you. He, is, he sent Jesus to the cross to redeem you from such things. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. The devil can't teach you nothing but... But, but the discouragement, depression, and destruction, and death. The Bible says the word of God is given for reproof, for instruction, and for correction. The word of God is what teaches us not the devil and not hardship. Everybody say, Satan is defeated. Say it again. Say, Satan is defeated. All his devils, all the fallen angels, under the, under our, the Bible says they are now under our feet. They have, they have fallen. They have no authority over you. Jesus Christ crushed their power 2,000 years ago on that cross. And when he got up out of that grave, every devil in hell has known about it. Since that time, you have authority. Stand up and give God some praise. Come on. It's time we stood up. I said, it's time we stood up. Amen. Yes, you got to deal with the devil, but deal with it from a place of victory, not from a place of defeat. He's the one that's defeated. Your job is to exercise your authority and keep him under your foot. I don't need to cast out the devil every three seconds. The devil has been cast out. My job is to claim the victory. You may be seated. Look, why, 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 why not sleep around on your wife or your husband? Why not? Why not have sex outside of marriage and just with anything that moves? Why not be a thief? Why not be a murderer if someone makes you angry enough? Why not abuse children and slap your wife around a little bit? Why not be a liar and do whatever you want? Why not? Because the Bible calls it sin. And if the word of God didn't say it was wrong, people would be lawless. Everything in our government has actually been established on the word of God because there's no greater governing force than the word. It prints it out. It tells us. 
The act of your will against God's will is sin. The Bible is light that shines on what is right and wrong. And if you didn't have it, chaos would rule and there would be no hope of spending eternity with God. Isaiah 59 2 says this, but your iniquities have separated, your sin has separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Having a problem with your relationship with God, it's not God's problem, folks. He sent Jesus so that he could open wide communication with you, clearing the connection through the sacrifice of his son, bridging the gap. He did that because he wanted it with you. It's not a God problem. It's a human problem. It's our problem. And until we own up to that, we'll always have that problem. So if I have a communication problem with God, I typically, now I've been serving for a long time, I already know the issue. I already know what he wants. Maybe I'm not ready to say that or whatever, deal with that, but I know what he wants. He wants me to deal with the issue, the sin in my life, the this place of dis. What is sin? It's a place of disobedience. It may not be going out and having sex with everybody. It may not be the, the overt things that we, we, we list, but it could be a simple, and it is, not could be, it is the simple disobedience what God asks you to do and you don't do it. Now I have missed the mark. Now I'm out of grace with God, but I can get right back in. Being unforgiven of your sin is a death sentence. And the only way to be forgiven is by way of repentance. What is repentance? The sorrowful acknowledgement. I'm so sorry. That you have wronged God by your willful actions of disobedience. I'm so sorry, King. Please forgive me. Give me opportunity. I want to serve you, Lord. Lord, wash me in your blood today. I can't do it without you. Those, that's what he wants from us, folks. Regarding sin, one man said it this way. Man calls it an accident. God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a blunder. God calls it blindness. Man calls it a defect. God calls it a disease. Man calls it chance. God calls it a choice. Man calls it an error. God calls it enmity. Man calls it fascination. God calls it fatality. Man calls it an infirmity. God calls it iniquity. Man calls it luxury. God calls it leprosy. Man calls it liberty. God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it tricky. God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Man calls it a weakness. God calls it willfulness. Church, let's be a people that calls things like it is. Sin is sin and not an unfortunate mistake. A saint is a saint and a sinner is a sinner. Right is right and wrong is wrong. My yes is yes and my no is no. A man is a male and a woman is a female. A baby is a living child and not just a fetus in a womb. And Jesus is Lord and he is the only way to heaven and the forgiveness of your sin. Somebody shout, yes! We're getting this thing so messed up. And so, look, every time, every time you, st you hear stuff about, well, he's a he and she's a she, he, oh, my gosh. You should have that reaction saying, Lord, help them. We're going to love them. We want to help them. We want to love them. Nothing against people personally. Matter of fact, to be quite honest with you, I don't care what you do behind closed doors. That's your business. But don't make it bring it into my world and expect me not to say something when my children and my grandchildren are involved. Sorry. You don't get that right. You're never going to get that right. This is America, hallelujah. And we all get to say what we want to say. And the truth of the matter is, we watch it and we're seeing demons here. Demons, he said, in the last days, they will say good is evil and evil is good. It'll be mixed up. People, what they're supposed to be doing, they won't do. This is what he, he, he warned us in the scriptures. And, and let me just tell you something, church. They're after our children. And they say, it's not sexual. Give it a rest. You think we were born yesterday? 
You devil from hell, of course it's sexual. Oh my goodness, I have so much I want to go off on right now, but I just want to have a good week and not a bunch of bad emails. Or maybe I should just go off and not worry about it. Who wants to just go off and not worry about it? Amen. A lot needs to be said because the body of Christ gets confused. When confusion comes in, that's not of God. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Amen. There are absolutes. There are God's rules and there are the devil's rules. There, which are the world's rules. That's all that is, the world's rules, right? And we have to make sure that we're walking close to what God wants, even if it means that we're going to be looked at and be persecuted as a result. How are you going to put a young man who thinks he's a woman in a sport? Now, see, now this is where you don't want me to go, but I'm going to go there anyways. And then wonder how he's winning all the trophies because there's differences between men and women. We're built differently. It's physical. It's, it's truth. It is what it is. He's a man. No matter if he gets stuff cut off, still a man. Amen. And all those other little girls, they've been trying to compete for years and win, and how can you compete against that? That's why you got women's basketball and you got men's basketball. Now, don't, don't, don't get it twisted, y'all. All you men out here think you can, you can hoop? Let me tell you something. The, those girls out there, you could never hoop with them. They're incredible. They're professionals. They'll whip you every time. I mean, hard, too. Just like bodybuilding, same thing. Don't think you can put yourself and think you can weight lift against them. Women, you can't. They're good at what they do. But you take the same man with the same amount of hours, same amount of dedication, and of course there's going to be a different outcome because we're just different, and that's okay. Yes, Holy Spirit, I will continue to move forward. Hallelujah. So what exactly is sin? Let me give you the Bible's definition of sin. What time is it? Okay, another minute. Old Testament words for sin are pasha and avan. Pasha uh, means transgression, the act that goes against the, a law or rule of conduct. It means rebellion. That's the New Testament, or that's rather the Old Testament. And Avon means this, it means that which is twisted or crooked. Right? And again, we see that twisting right now. That twisting. That twisting. I can't help it. i got to be right, right, right back on it. You don't let a child make up its mind of who or he or she is. Because... My three-year-old granddaughter thinks she's a Paw Patrol. She's not here right now. Right? And she's not. Amen. Kids, they, they're, they're, they're sponges. They're spon so they think that they're what is around them, their environment. Your job is to say, no, you're not. That's playtime. Well, my boy picked up a per my purse and wanted to play with it. Because that's what kids do. They emulate. They see what you were doing. And they thought, oh, what's, what is that? And they, they start to do it. You say, well, that's mama's purse. But here's a truck. Or here's this. Or here's that. Here's what you play with. This is what boys do. See, some of you have been so indoctrinated. You, I can feel that devil right now hating what I'm saying. Hating it. Oh, well, why you got to put a truck in front of Because that's what a boy does. Amen. And some comes more natural for kids than others. When my, my daughter was a little baby, she was, I, I, I watched her. I came home from work. I wasn't even work, work, uh, was, yeah, I was working for the church. Came home, and she's crawling to me. And she's got a baby in one arm and a purse over her shoulder. And I'm going, did you teach her? She goes, nope. I never, she went in her little toy uh, chest, and she got the baby out, and she got the purse. And she's, she's around her mother. She's emulating what her mother does, you see. And then you give them the proper toys or whatever, and it teaches them. This is what kids do. They learn from us. They're sponges. This is what you do that's right. This is what you do that is wrong. Amen. And they'll be just fine. But you can't allow them just to make up their minds for themselves. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and wisdom and say, this is how we're going to work it as a family. This is who you are as a child, and the rest will be just fine. Amen. New Testament words for sin. Harmatia, which means to miss the mark. Parebius, which means to step over an established line. And I don't pronounce these all right. Y'all know I'm not a Greek scholar, right? I'm just giving you what they are. Uh, Peritoma, 
meaning falling where one should have stood. Anomia means lawlessness. And last one is adikia, which means bending where, I'm sorry, bending what's right and making it crooked. So when you put it together, here's what it means. To be disobedient by sin is this. To be disobedient by stepping over the established line and miss the mark by twisting and bending God's law, his rules, and his code of conduct to fit your desire, thereby falling where you had the power to stand. Grace is not simply to cover sin. Grace is an empowerment that we can use every day so we don't sin at all. Uh, do you understand that? Come to my throne of to find help and grace in time of need. So every single day you go to God and say, I need your grace today, right? To cover me so that I'm empowered not to sin in my life. Amen. Well, I don't do this, I don't do that. I know you don't do the big sins, but big sin and little sin is still sin. Right? Cussing people out in traffic is still a sin. And so I don't cuss. Oh, you got your Christian cuss words. Just because you didn't say them worldly ones, you still cussing. Yes, you are. You stupid idiot, you jerk. They were cuss words, y'all. You're cursing. You're cursing with your mouth. Man, I just feel such a love-hate thing today. Amen. I just feel love, and then sometimes I slip of, slip of hate goes in there just a little bit. Amen. Um, I'm going to bypass this part um, and get down to the nitty-gritty. We're out of time. Help me, Holy Spirit, here, because I really want to get this in. There's so much I want to say. Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about I, I won't announce right now that we're, we might talk about this next week. Because half y'all might not show up. So I have no idea what God's going to do next week. I'm trying to get it all in right now. Amen. Can you imagine saying, we're going to have a conference this year. Woohoo! What's it about, sin? <laughs> Crickets. Everybody wants to leave. Um, let me just do this. I'm trying to do this right here. Um, anyway. Anyway. James 1. I'm done. James 1.13. Here's how sin gets started in our lives. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. God can't give you what God doesn't have. Are you, are you catching this? Well, my grandmother told me that she got cancer because that's what her time was up. And that was the, the choice that God gave her because her time was up. That's not the Bible. I love your grandma. I know you love your grandma. But grandmas can be wrong. Amen. We all can be wrong. It may give her some sort of sense of, uh, you know, peace, a false peace, but that's not the truth because God doesn't kill. See, God, that's not in God. He's, he's the author of life. Our decisions to live without him brings the curse, and the curse is what kills us, right? So you can't say you're tempted by God because, because he can't, you can't be, God can't tempt you with evil because there's no evil in him, just like there's no cancer in him. So he can't give you cancer. Amen? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. He tells you what's happening here. And, and you're enticed. It's when the temptation comes as a result of your own desire. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Sin begins with temptation. When the enemy tempts us, the temptation is not of God. The devil will tempt. And when the temptation comes, it's not going to be something you hate. Your flesh is going to like it. The temptation to be uh, um, angry at somebody. The temptation of getting back vengeance. The temptation of holding a grudge. The temptation of uh, lust. Greed. Uh, the temptation of, of, um, of power, wanting to have a place, a position of authority um, that, to rule over others unrighteously. These are all things the devil, he knows who you are. He knows what to pick out. Amen? And he knows how to use it very, he's been around a long time. Remember, you have authority over the devil. 
I was listening to Jesse this morning, so I'll give him credit for this because it just came this morning. And he was saying, you know, he said, hey, I had some thoughts last week came in my head. Bad thoughts, sinful thoughts. And he said, and I instantly rebuked them and say, devil, I know what you're trying to do. These are not my thoughts. I will not allow them in my head. You embarrass sin before it embarrasses you. You cut things off at the root, or, or pull them out, I should say, before the root has a chance to even germinate, to bring thing, anything up to the surface. Amen? The temptation itself is not sin. The action of the temptation is the sin. Action. To disobey God willfully, to do what I want because of my desires and because I'm enticed, then that becomes the sin in itself. Last statement, and we'll pray. It's not one you haven't heard before. It's not one that I penned, but I like it. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Amen? Let's remember that. Now, I would love for this movement to a place of repentance and bring people to the altar, but I, I tend to think sometimes we can manufacture things. I mean, I asked the Lord about it, and I just feel like this is something you gotta, it's not, yeah, you're right, I better do this. It's, it's the Holy Spirit in you working something out that, that gift of repentance, I will tell you, I will tell you guys, there is a difference. There's a difference from saying, God, I'm sorry, and repentance. That's why it's hard to just have an altar call for it because you're trying to manufacture something. Sorry for my sin, and me, really meaning it, he will forgive you. Repentance is returning from where you're at to where you're supposed to be. It's an action that comes out of sorrowful recognition of what I've done. And I take, I own that. I can't blame anybody for that. I did that. And I'm wrong. And I, I'm so sorry. And usually, almost always, tears come. That's why it's hard to bring people forward because they're more thinking about the people next to them than they are really getting alone before God and getting right with the Lord can happen when there's a move of the Spirit, no doubt about that. And we've seen it happen. But I just felt like you need to be taking this principle and working this all the time and getting before God and being sorrowful. If You can't manufacture that either. It's just spending time in His presence. I have never, ever been in His presence where I didn't feel two things, overwhelmed with absolute joy and peace, His love, but also an awareness He's God and I'm not, and I am so messed up, and I need him. I'm just, God, I'm a human being. I'm so sorry. I think, I did everything right this week. I prayed the 30 minutes a day like I, pr I promised you. I'm, I dotted my I's and crossed my T's. I did everything, and I felt good about that. And, boy, you get in his presence here going, oh, you didn't like the way I talked to Robin. That was not good. For those who didn't hear her, she said, Amen. And I'm sure the Lord deals with you many times the same way. Matzo, matzo. <laughs> We're going, you're going to get real with us. That's how it is. Um, but, um, and oh, that, yeah, the way I handled that, that was bad. I'm sorry, King. It's almost like I get that thing in me where it's like, you don't like that. You don't like that, do you? I sense you don't like that. You didn't like that I laughed at that joke. You didn't like it. I'm sorry, King. I'm sorry, forgive me. And it, there's something that happens, and you just get it right. That's what I'm talking about with repentance, folks. And, and the beautiful thing is you can tell God anything. It's not like you don't know. You ain't going to shock him with nothing, right? And he's still loving you. He's still working with you, right? So, yes, it's embarrassing, but you shouldn't be embarrassed to the point like, I got to tell him something he don't know. He knows. He's waiting for this thing to get right and under the blood, amen? We have so much to do in the kingdom of God in this decade that has started off so turbulent. I mean, we got rocked. Everybody, I think, could be rocked. And, and it may not be over with yet. There's good news. There's gonna be dancing in the street. The Bible promised that. There's gonna be some good things that happen along the way. 
but we still may be in some rough areas, but, but not unto death, nothing that we can't handle. We're going to be overcome. Everybody say amen. But one thing we can't do is become a self-righteous people, close ourselves off, think us for no more. We got it together. They don't. God's inclusive. He died for the whole world. I can tell you stories. I know you got them too of people he told me to love that I did not want to love. I can tell you stories of people that needed their butt rebuked. That's a Christian way of cussing. I probably shouldn't have said that. Amen. Probably shouldn't have done that. But needed to be rebuked, their butt and their heads. I wanted to. And they're in the prayer line. I was going to rebuke them. Because I knew what happened. And I get to them, and I just feel the love of God. I feel it pour out. I feel mercy. And I give them a prophecy about how great they are and how many lives are going to be changed because of them. And they're incredible. And God's hand is on them. And the whole time I'm giving this, I'm going, no, Lord. No, Lord. No, Lord. Because that's my human nature. But when you get the heart of God, everything changes. He doesn't see it the way you see it sometimes. And we need to be praying from that place. We need to be judging from that place. We need to be living from that place. And, and cutting ourselves a break too. Amen. We don't have to live in condemnation. You don't need to live condemned. I'm taking a little time right now just because I feel I need to. Don't be condemned. Just get it right. Some of you are such perfectionists. that If you do one thing wrong, that's it. I, I, I can't live for God now. Not that you would give him up, but, but that's how you think. And so two weeks go by, you can't hardly sleep because you made a mistake. And I used to be like that. And then I wised up and said, oh, my God, I'm going to be making a whole lot more, and I already have. I can't feel like this every single time because I'm just a human being. Told him that just recently. I'm just a human, Lord. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have had that attitude. I was bad. That attitude I had about that woman I told her on last Sunday, I believe, and I talked about, and she gave the $30,000 to the church, and um, she was such a sweetheart, and I prejudged the whole situation. I was angry because I'm like, dear God, you're going to follow the rules. You're going to follow the rules. And, um, and boy, the Lord showed me, didn't he? And I told that story because I, I'm trying to keep myself accountable. We've got to get better at this. We've got to get better at this. Amen and amen. All right, y'all enjoy the word so much. Amen. It's kind of like... You'll leave, you're going to leave and go, that was incredible. I felt like I got a butt whipping, but you know what? I'm okay. Everything's okay now.